The Bonfires of Social Enterprise with Detroit-based Rami Gingrass of Gingrass Global. Thanks for tuning in to The Bonfires of Social Enterprise. Our guest today is attorney Andrew Goldberg. He's a brilliant legal mind, an entrepreneur, a community servant, a father, and someone who's been a great friend for Gingrass Global. We met back in 2010 when I was uh, torturing myself trying to figure out how if I should leave the traditional financial industry and turn my hobby into a business. And you have such a such a great memory in my mind. I remember sitting across from you at, at the table at the law office, and you're like, Rami, you're just going to have to get out there and jump, and we'll figure it out as you go. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. I do, Rami. It was really funny. And one of the things that was really interesting about it was that this is, it was such a new industry, and we, you were on the cutting edge, and neither I nor you had any idea how this was going to grow and take off. And just like an entrepreneur, sometimes you just do have to take a leap of faith. Let's talk from a community perspective. Why do you feel this movement's important from a community perspective? Rami, great question. And I think really it's almost historical in a sense that I think that for a lot of people who lived in the city and then they moved to the suburbs and there was this loss of a certain community and how people interacted with one another and does the adage, uh, a rising tide lift all ships still apply when we're living behind gated communities or in uh, McMansions. And I think really as people have acquired wealth and they've done well, at a certain point they decide to say, what is my true legacy? They quote, can't take it with them, close quote. What does that really mean? Um, And what legacy do they want to leave behind for their family and for the community in which they live? And I think that's really been an impetus. I think it's just an evolution of how people think about themselves and how they lived the last 20 years in the suburbs and maybe a little bit disconnected from their community as a whole. There has been this trend instead of just giving charitable contributions and letting others spend money, how the uh, philanthropic or nonprofit organization professionals see fit, uh, of course, in conjunction with their volunteers and the like. And instead, business people who are involved in the community, who have experience and have built businesses, they think maybe it's a better way if they're involved in the social mission and they actually help smaller socially uh, or businesses, social enterprise businesses thrive. So it's a combination of using people using their business acumen and business skills to help social enterprise businesses thrive. And I think that's what we see today, especially the type of investor. It's this, it's this type of investor as well who's getting into the community. We see not just investing financial capital, but we see investing time and wisdom in sort of a village way around these social entrepreneurs. So moving back to investing financial capital, Andy, who do you see as the typical investors uh, starting to consider these social enterprises for their resources? I don't think that there's necessarily a single type of investor, but certainly it's the investor who wants to see a, a community grow and who may have certain uh, pet projects that they want to see take flight. 
But I think we find the investors really come from two areas. One is nonprofit organizations. And I think it's important because some of these nonprofit organizations and even private foundations are subject to very specific tax rules that govern how they can invest in for-profit businesses. So even though these are social socially based and have a social mission, it's still a for-profit business. And sometimes there are uh, restrictions on how nonprofits and private foundations can invest in them. So, and then somewhat as I alluded to earlier, people who have made money in their business lifetime and now want to give back into the community, but they want to give back not by just donating dollars, but by trying to create something sustaining in the community and helping a business grow. And then lastly, I think you really see a lot of people, it's not necessarily a perfect analogy, but a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo campaign or a GoFundMe campaign who just have a real belief in doing things in the city. And I think Detroit is a great example. You can go, there are all these little pockets of just small things happening. And they're not even businesses. There's people who are um, trying to get things off the ground. Um, they're, they're asking other people to come join them in conversations. And these people have no financial investment, yet they're willing to donate their time to that organization. And I think it's the type of person that really does want to see, is really interested in the community building idea. That's, it's that mentality and philosophy that we really see as the type of investor. Yeah, it's almost like that as long as it matches the social mission of their heart, even if it's an individual, that it's really an exciting idea to put capital in and think that they might be able to get it back. <laughs> So I, sort of this recycling, that's even a, a bonus. It's almost the icing on the cake, isn't it? <laughs> right. I, mean, I, was just, I was just thinking of an example. I mean, people can give to their United Way campaigns, but they're giving to a large organization, and then that organization decides how the money is best spent. But with a social enterprise investment, it's the investor who gets to decide where the money's spent and if that type of investment really fits in their own personal soul and meets what they feel is their own personal mission and ethics and ideals. And that's that ability to make a direct investment in something that is consistent with their, with their own morals and ethics and vision of the future that I think is real appealing to a lot of investors. And we've even had, Rami, we even worked together on a matter where, uh, I'll never forget this, and the guy who's leading the investment group said, said to me, he said, wouldn't it be great if this made a lot of money and then we could really turn around and invest in another social enterprise? He didn't even care if he made money. He was more worried about the social enterprise and building the community. And I think that's really the message that you'll find from investors. People ask me all the time, these impact investors, they really are still venture capitalists. They still, it's a still agreed play. And we're finding, you know, while there's always some of every character on stage, for the most part, these are pretty philanthropic minded and soul driven folks in the marketplace and really loving the efficient idea of putting some capital to play that gets the enterprise or the small business going 
and it could be remain a micro business or it could turn into a small, medium, or large business, but it's this really attractive idea of putting some initial capital in and getting them launched and up and self-sustainable by investing their time as well. What do you see in terms of returns or types of structures that investors are typically asking for? Rami, I think the financial structure is going to vary from project to project and frankly from investor to investor depending on what his or her approach is to the social enterprise. There are registered investment advisors who believe that they should be able to get the same return as if they were investing in a Fortune 500 company. And that may be true, but I, right now, because of the nascent nature of the social enterprise, I frankly don't think that investors are looking for that type of return. They're looking to make, if it's three, four, five percent, they're more than happy with that. I think really the idea of the return is to put an onus on the social enterprise business person to understand that, hey, this isn't free money and we do care about our investment and you do have a responsibility to your investors. So the idea of the return is really to make the business owner responsible to his shareholders. Um, Rami, I think the one other thing that people should be aware of is that the investment can take different forms, a loan, or it might actually be ownership of the stock. And I think that impacts the return that people expect as well. I still go back to the idea that, as you said, (laughs) uh, that the investor are really involved in the community. Right now, at this nascent stage of social entrepreneurship, the investment return is almost secondary. They would be happy if they got 1% return in this the social enterprise employed 100 people. That's a huge win in their mind. That's really the key. So maybe the return is a non-monetary return when they should be thinking about it, not just a financial return. There's no question, as a reporting uh, administrator at Gingras Global Groups, we have just as many requests for how the social impact can be reported out alongside the traditional financial reporting. There's this whole new area. We, as a matter of fact, we, out of pure necessity, went and had to develop a couple tools just to accommodate that as bridge services between the social entrepreneur and the investor. Which, uh, and we're still learning how that how that goes. Now, Andy, I know that from working with you, you've developed kind of a 14 point, almost like a checklist on how to structure one of these deals, depending on the source of the funding and where the social entrepreneur is and their legal structure. Would you mind giving us maybe one, two, or three of those tips to share? Sure, Rami. I think before we go there, I want to talk a little bit about how we have represented people who have invested in social enterprise businesses. The first thing that's really important that you and I have spoken about is understanding our role as an investor. And by that, I don't mean when you go to a bank, if a, if a business goes to a bank, usually it's an adversarial process to a great extent, right? The bank wants to loan its money. It's going to put really a lot of strings on it to make sure it gets its money back. When we're talking with our investors and then going to talk to the social enterprise, a lot of times that social enterprise may not even have legal representation. And further, we don't want to put so many strings on the social enterprise that they can't get off the ground. So I think our investment is is almost side by side with the social enterprise. It's not an adversarial or a how tight can we turn the screws on the social enterprise. Rami, I know you remember the one case where we were talking about an equity investment and the issue came up, well, you know, there's securities laws issues. 
and the social enterprise didn't have a lawyer. He barely had enough money. How was he going to pay to make sure that he didn't violate some securities laws? I mean, that was a really big deal that we had a, a really big hurdle we had to surmount. And we decided, okay, look it, we can't take advantage of the social business. Our goals are aligned with the social business. So we said, okay, maybe an equity is not the right investment. Maybe a loan is a better investment. And I think it's really important that people in the social enterprise world think about the relationship between the investor and the social business, because that's really the key here. Rami, with that background, let's talk on a couple things that we've talked about when loaning money. So the first and maybe the easiest one is, what interest rate should we charge? Purely from a legal point of view, there is a minimum rate that the IRS publishes on a monthly basis that has to be charged on a loan. Anything below that, there are all sorts of tax issues that we don't even want to get into and you want to avoid at all costs. The interest can be tied to the prime rate. It can be tied to what's called the London Interbank Overnight rate, sometimes referred to as LIBOR. Maybe it's just uh, the lowest rate that the IRS will allow you to charge. But that rate obviously has to be documented and um, needs to be reviewed by the investor. The other factor is when do we expect to get repaid? Yes, our goals are aligned with the social enterprise. Yes, we want to see it succeed. But this isn't a gift. It is still a loan. So there are all different ways that we can structure repayments. We could say, we want to be repaid in three years. We want to be repaid in seven years. But even in those, it can be spliced even further. Do we get interest during the three years? Or is it just a balloon repayment at the end of three years? Is it maybe if it's a seven-year loan, do you get lump sum payments every six months with a balloon at the end of seven years? Or is it a seven-year loan, but it's really amortized over 15 years? There are so many different ways to structure it. It's only limited by one's imagination to a great extent. And then the last factor, kind of woven into the term, is really just what the amortization period is. You can have a three-year loan but have it, and have it fully amortizing. So they pay principal and interest over 36 months, so at the end of the, on the last payment, they owe nothing. Or it can be amortized over... 10 years, but it's, it's, it's a balloon payment at the, three, at the end of three years or five years. So, Andy, you hit on one of the things that is such an important thing for me as a bridge service, as an administrator, when we're part of a, a transaction with a social entrepreneur and an impact investor. One of the things that gets swept over more often than not, or perhaps minimized, is the revenue modeling around the terms and the deals that they're considering. I find more often than not, I find myself guarding the social entrepreneur because they're pretty likely to agree to terms feeling very, very positive because they're going to conquer the world and they, in effect, probably are, but they may need more time or they may need a little bit uh, lower rate in the beginning, whatever those things are. But those, there's some initial revenue modeling that's generally done in the business planning phase. But then when the terms and the deal structure are happening and that negotiation is happening, it appears that sometimes the cash flow modeling gets taken back off the table specific to the business. What kind of combination of goals of selling the products and services for that social enterprise is it going to take 
to fulfill the terms of the loan or the agreement, the equity investment, whatever that may be, that has to be so directly connected with the goals of the enterprise. And I just want to encourage anyone listening who may be considering impact investing to, as Andy said, consider those terms and then interwine them, go back and involve the entrepreneur in that cash flow modeling and make sure that that's realistic for them. Okay, I'm getting off my box here for a second. (laughs) Rami, I just want to touch on something really about um, the social enterprise, who the investors are. And I really think that even in our experience that the investor, you should go to your investor and use him or her as a mentor. I mean, they can add immense value. They a lot of these investors have connections in the community. They have connections to other financial sources. Um, have them look at your financial um, projections or what your business model look like. Most of these investors, at least right now, have created successful businesses. They're your investors. Why, why wouldn't you ask them? And I think it's really important to to use these people who are at your access. You don't have to hire high-priced consultants or lawyers or accountants. They're investing money. They want to see you succeed because they want to get repaid. Use them. And, and I trust you, and I know Rami has had the same experience. These people will be willing to give you their time to make sure you succeed. They're already expressing their faith in you by investing in you. So let them come into your and let them be a part of your vision um, and help you succeed. Let me ask you to put your your family father hat on for a minute, Andy. You and I have talked about uh, our adult kids and what the vision we see for them. How does this whole concept of investing in social enterprise connect in with you as a father? Yeah, Rami, when I, um, you kind of, back in 2010, you probably caught me at the right time um, because my daughter, I think she had just gotten her driver's license. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, about right about then she was getting her driver's license. So she was getting to be a lot more independent. And she was a sophomore in high school, starts thinking about college. But really, she's always been a, a, a kid who wanted to move back to Detroit. She said, Dad, when I, when I graduate college, I'm coming back. I'm living downtown. And she's caught the bug and wanted to... Um, help grow the city of Detroit and move downtown. And I think that's what really got me thinking about how I, as an adult, could contribute to this too. There's so many young people in the city of Detroit doing great things that, to a certain extent, I feel an obligation to support my kids and make make the community better for them. And, and of course, it's selfish, so if they're in Detroit, they get to be close to me and they can come over when they need to use my washer and dryer, they need a home-cooked meal. Um, uh, that home-cooked meal, by the way, will be from my wife, not me. But that, so it, it was selfish in the sense of where my daughter's vision was, the community that I want to go to. I still love, uh, our favorite thing is to go to Lafayette, Coney Island. Uh, we went on New Year's at three in the morning, and it was packed, and it was awesome. It was awesome. I want it to be like that 24 hours a day. And I think that impetus of the young kids and people motivated to see the community re-energize is really motivation for me as a dad. And really going back to this idea of really if you look at your legacy, you're, you're on earth for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, however long we may be here. And did you leave the place a little bit better than when you came? And even if you didn't, did you at least try? And did you... 
try and have an impact on some people or some community that you did something that was a little bit more than, than just passively exist through your lifetime. And I think that that's really, um, for me personally, that's a motivating factor. All right, you just summarized why I love working with you on some of these deals. Thank you uh, for being on the podcast of Bonfires of Social Enterprise. You've been listening to Rami Gingras of Gingras Global and Detroit attorney Andrew Goldberg. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, email this link, bonfiresofsocialenterprise.com, to a friend and help spread the word. Music by Dan Castle and Thomas Rojo. Portions of this podcast have been provided by Rami Jingress and are copywritten 2015 Jingress Global LLC and are disseminated by Flatlands Avenue Productions by exclusive arrangement with Jingress Global LLC.